Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We'll begin in verse 15 in just a moment. If you'll have that text in front of you this morning, it'd be beneficial. Uh, Today's text is going to be a little bit different than probably uh, the application will be different than probably what we're used to in church. Uh, A lot of times we come into a text, a passage of scripture, and we personalize it. Uh, What is the application for me in particular? But today's text doesn't allow you to do that necessarily. It's more of a societal, public demonstration of faith than it is a private, personalized demonstration of faith. There will be actions we take, but we take them for the benefit of everybody rather than just ourselves. And I think you'll see that as we walk through this text. We're in the final week, if you're visiting with us, we're in the final week of Jesus' life. We've been studying the Gospels for uh, over two years now, and we're looking at this final week. And I hope you're not in a hurry to get through it, because it's very instrumental into our understanding not only who Jesus is. He's demonstrated that so far in the series. But why did he do what he did? What, what point is he making, and how does that impact each of us? He's moving toward the cross, and he's moving there quickly. As the hours tick away, Jesus gets closer to this moment in time that God would ask him to serve all of us by his death. He's entered the city on a Sunday. It's a grand entrance. The crowds wanted him to be their Messiah, and he was, except they wanted a Messiah that would overthrow Rome, and Jesus came to overthrow sin. And the way he would go about that was different than they anticipated, but it was highly effective. And on the day after he was brought in in the triumphal entry, Jesus went into the temple, the place of worship, the center point of all Hebrew life. He went into that temple and he turned tables over and he kicked out all of the merchants and he he got rid of everything in the temple that kept people from having direct access to God by themselves. All the, the middlemen, all the management, he got rid of all of it. And the question was asked regularly from that moment, because Jesus antagonized the religious leaders. They resented him, because what he was not doing was honoring them. Jesus was not lifting them up and saying, he's the example, he's the person you should follow. And instead, Jesus was saying, you need to follow me. And they resented Jesus. And so they asked him this question, by what authority did you do what you did? Who gave you the right to come into our temple and act the way you did? And we've been studying, the last two weeks, we studied three stories that Jesus told to answer that question. He talked about a father who asked his two sons to help him do the work. One said he would and didn't. The other said he wouldn't and did. And Jesus taught us through that parable that God has an expectation that we get involved in his work. And he's inviting us into it. Then he told another parable, another story. And he just talked about how There was this vineyard owner who leased his land to somebody, and he expected his return. Not He'd expect all of it. He expected his return. And when he sent his messengers to receive his part of the work, uh, they were abused. They were mistreated, and some were even killed. And Jesus taught us that the Father expects that the work that we do for him produce for him and for us. And then last week, we had a story about a wedding feast when a king invited people to come to the feast and they said they would and then they didn't prepare themselves and they were disrespectful and they they at one point wanted to but they didn't care enough to prepare for it and then he went out and invited other people and they came in graciously and received all that the king wanted them to have and 
there was a preparation that's necessary, that we even, the way we dress to come in shows our gratitude. And Jesus told these three parables, and he told it in the temple area, in the public display. See, people were gathering around hearing this great teacher teach, and he was telling these parables, and they were all parables of judgment. And it was so clear that when he did it, the crowd was like, man, he just tore those guys up. And, and the men he was talking to, the religious leaders, they knew in their hearts, man, he just tore us up. Jesus had confronted them with these three stories. And so they knew what he was saying, and they knew who he was saying it to. So they had a strategy. They were going to come after Jesus. Look at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They came up with three questions. We're going to study these over the next three weeks. They came up with three questions, all of them meant to trap Jesus. They were going to get him in a situation that if he answered the question correctly, they could use it against him. And so today we look at the very first. And they're going to ask him a question that's politicized. They're going to ask him a question about loyalty to Rome. And by asking this question, they can get him trapped. They can get him pinned. Because the crowd will, if he goes against Rome, the crowd will tell Rome. If he goes against uh, the Jews, then the, the Jews will turn against him. They have him exactly where they want him to be. And so here they come with the first question. Look at verse 16. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is a big, big question. They have it all set. Verse 16 is very important that you you notice something. It said they sent their disciples. Uh, Luke, in his same record of this story... When Luke tells a story, he says they sent spies. So we know that the people that came to ask Jesus the question were not the ones that Jesus had been engaging with over the last three years in Jerusalem every time he appeared. This was a new crowd. They sent people that he didn't know to try to trap him into this question because the question then would appear to be a reasonable question. But there also were Herodians there, and let me explain this. Now, I have to admit that because I know what the Pharisees did to Jesus at the end of that week, I don't like them. And I don't like to paint them in good light. But Pharisees, the Pharisaical movement were the conservatives. They wanted to do what the Scripture said. They wanted to protect the integrity of the Scriptures. They had good intentions when they started, but then they got power, and that power corrupted them. And they would use that power against Jesus because he threatened their power. But initially, the Pharisees were the conservatives. They just wanted to do what the the Word of God said, and they established all these extra principles to keep people safe. I think their intentions were good. They didn't trust God very much, but their intentions were good. Now, the Herodians on the other side. Now, right now, if you can't stand history, you're like, seriously? Just hang on, I'm about done. But the context matters to understand the text. The Herodians were pro-Rome. They supported Herod the king, and he was a puppet of the Roman government. So what they did very strategically and beautifully was they had two crowds there. The Herodians would be pro-Rome, and the Pharisees would be anti-Rome because the Pharisees thought that Rome had no jurisdiction in Jerusalem and should get out and should just leave them alone to worship God the way they wanted to worship God. So when they ask this question, should you pay taxes to Caesar, if Jesus says no, the Herodians run to Rome, and Rome's going to be like, excuse me? And if he says yes, then the Pharisees run to the Jews and said he's pro-Rome. It's a great question. It's an effective question. Except when you give it to Jesus. Because Jesus is like, oh, dude, 
child's play. Now, if they do it to me, I step in it. If they do it to Jesus, he's like, no, you're going to step in it. And he answers their question brilliantly. Because they said, is it right to pay tribute? Some of your translations say tribute. Some say pay taxes. I actually like the translation tribute because what is a tribute? It's giving honor where honor is due. You see, the question is, if we support Caesar in any way, are we supporting Caesar all the way? That's the core question. And they've asked a great question. And Jesus better be very careful how he answers it. And then I remember, oh, he's Jesus. He's got it. You might remember... A couple summers ago, we were in Matthew chapter 17, and this was the question when the Jews came to Jesus and said, do you pay the temple tax? And for some of us, we might go, isn't it the same story, kind of? It's different. Here's why. The temple tax was originated by the Jews to keep the upkeep of the temple. It went all the way back to King Solomon's time. And they came to Jesus and said, you keep talking about tearing the temple down. Do you not believe in the temple? Do you pay the temple tax? They were hoping to get him against public opinion. And Jesus said, yeah, but remember that the prince doesn't pay the king to live in the kingdom because he's the prince, but I'll pay your temple tax. So he says to Peter, go fishing. Peter catches a fish, surprise, surprise, and the belly of the fish is enough taxes to pay for both of them. And they think, oh, he's good. Yeah, he's really good. And he, he honored the temple tax, but he taught the principle, if I do this, I do it because I choose to, not because I have to. This is a different question. This is, do you honor the government? Or is that disloyalty to God? And Jesus knew what they were asking. You see, in 6 BC, roughly three years before, and I know you'll think before Christ, but in 6 BC, roughly three years before Jesus, a man named Judas the Zealot started an insurrection against Rome over this tax. Because the tribute, now I could give you the Greek word, but I make fun of preachers like me who do this. I give you the Greek word, and you didn't study Greek in college, and the only reason I know Greek is they made me study Greek in college. So if I gave you the words, you wouldn't know if I was telling you the truth or not. So let me give you the form of the word. It's actually from the form of the word, the Latin word, kensus, K-E-N-S-U-S, is where we get our English word, census. So what he's saying is, Rome charged a census tax on anybody who received benefit of the Roman government. Good roads, military, protection, coverage, all of that. Caesar said, you will pay me this tax and Rome will protect you. It was a rights fee or a service fee for what Rome provided. And the question they're saying is, if we pay this, are we supporting Caesar against God? And so Jesus, interestingly enough, because a man named Judas started an insurrection, and the Roman government stepped in and crushed those zealots. There were still remnants and pockets of it in Jerusalem that were trying to overthrow Rome. So Jesus knew that audience was watching him. We also know, according to Josephus, that in 66 AD, four years before Uh, Jerusalem was devastated and the temple was destroyed, as Jesus said it would be, that the reason the Rome came into Jerusalem with such a heavy hand was they rebelled against paying this census tax. So the question has history behind it. It's a great question, unless you give it to Jesus, because he knows what to do with it. Verse 18. So I bored you to death with history. Shake your head if you're ready to move on or you understood me. I'll feel good about both answers. Okay, all right. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Could you imagine how busted they felt right there? These strangers walk up to him, they're like, we're going to get him. And he's like, I know who you are. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. 
So they left him and went away. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was raised in the church, and I'm grateful for it. I've read this story multiple times in my life. I've heard it taught over and over. And at the end of his saying, I'm not amazed. Then I realized, because I didn't understand the background. They were not amazed because it was such a brilliant answer. They were amazed that he actually answered the question and caused no problems on either side of the aisle. The pro-Rome, they were like, sweet, sounds good to me. The Jews were like, oh, and that give God what belongs to God, that's a nice answer. He didn't step in it at all. And they were amazed at how brilliant he was and how they could not trap him because he knew the hearts of men. He knew that the loyalty issue was what they were talking about. So he says, give me the coin, and they gave him the coin. Now, remember, denarius would have been printed by the Romans, not by the Jews. And so the, whoever was printing the money, and you can find this if you, if you go to Jerusalem, they'll take you to coin shops where they found, I don't know if they're real or replicas, but they'll show you coins of that day. And the Caesar who was in charge of Rome would put his picture and his name on it, and it was his. He minted it. It was to be used into his government. And when Jesus looked at the coin and said, whose face is on it? Caesar's. Whose name's on it? Caesar's. Then give him back his stuff. He says, pay him back. He actually uses the word, pay back the debt you owe. He doesn't say, give it to him as a gift. He says, no, you owe him this. Give him back the tax you're due. Do you, do you go down the Roman roads? Yeah. Are you protected by the Roman government? Kind of. Are you served by this government? Or have they created aqueducts that have brought water into your cities where there was no water previously? Yeah. Then pay what you owe. It's a brilliant answer. But it's difficult because we're Americans. And we're doing our taxes right now, aren't we? Now, you know, some of you are like, uh-uh, not till April 14th. I know you'll pay. But some of us, it was a shock this year, wasn't it? All of a sudden, I did my taxes, and I'm like, wait, what? And I looked and thought, oh, no. No spring break for us. Well, not true. But I looked at it and I was like, something changed and I don't like it. Now, because you changed my comfort, I want some answers. No, no, there's no answers here. Listen to what Paul tells us, church. Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted... And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is a hard thing to say, and I want to be really crystal clear, because some of you are going to paint me, oh, he, he's part of that party, or he's part of that party. I'm not invited to either of those parties. I want to show you what the text teaches. Government, not individual leaders. Be very, very careful. We are never, ever required in Scripture to give our allegiance to a man or a woman. We're to give it to God. But government is like church, is like family, and is like marriage in Scripture. They've been created by God. Government, family, church, marriage are four institutions that God has put into civilized society to bring about order and justice. It is God's idea. It needs to be honored. When Jesus said, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar, he was saying, give honor where honor is due. Now, I know some of you in the audience want to raise your hand and go, but, there is a but, we'll get there. There will be a moment where the government is not due honor, and we are not required to honor it. But let's be really careful. You better pick a battle that's worth fighting. If you fight against everything, when you pick the battle that's worth fighting, no one will notice. There will be a time to stand, and there will be a time to give honor. And Jesus so clearly stated that here, that the crowd was amazed, that he simply said, pay your taxes. We live in a great country, don't we? 
for the most part, we have great roads. We have firemen, ambulance drivers, first responders, policemen. We have good schools. We have good teachers that are trained in those schools to teach. We have people caring for our hospitals. We have amazing things going on in our, our country. I expected maybe someone to give me a holy harump during some of that. Some of you are like, no, I hate it. All right, okay, sorry. Uh, but for the rest of us, we look at it and we go, it's, it's good to be an American. And paying our taxes is simply honoring the fact that we do have good roads and we can travel from state to state to state. We don't have to go through entry points. We don't have any of that nonsense. We live in a good place, don't we? So when you pay your taxes, it's not just giving honor where honors do. It's actually pleasing the Father when we act like good citizens and we bring the light of Christ into those common everyday circumstances. Instead of grousing and complaining, we should give and pay our taxes with the blessing that we've received by living in such an organized and, for the most part, well-constructed nation. But... When the government expects us to give them what belongs to God, you and I must say no. This is what Jesus taught. Now, I don't always know when that moment is for you, and I have to be careful that I don't prescribe for you what's a conviction for me, but I do want to state, be very, very careful that we are not turning every cause into a God versus government. Let's save those for when we need them. You see, we are good citizens for the sake of the gospel, not as a punishment. God said, this is good. It brings him glory and honor. We obey our laws. We pay our taxes. We do what civilized people do so we can contribute to a civilized society. We bring light into dark places. See, Dallas Willard says, to love God with all your heart is to have your will entirely set on the accomplishments of what is good for God. I love that. If you want to love God with all your heart, you choose to do what's best for God before you choose to do what's best for you. And then haven't we all found out when you do what's best for God, it turns out to actually be what's best for you. It's never a contrast. It's never a contradiction. Honoring God does not necessarily mean we have to dishonor the emperor. Our loyalty is not premised on either God or government, either God or leader. It can be a combination of honoring leadership and those institutions, the way God designed them, marriage, family, the church, and government are ways we worship. And then when he answered the question, the Herodians had no complaint, the Pharisees had no complaint, and Jesus gave us a a way to live. But what's the thing that Caesar may ask of you and I that we are never to give? So we're to pay our taxes, we're to obey the speed limit. Now, I I think this is, I hope this, I'm not trying to be funny, but it It does make me laugh in my heart. I have no problem paying my taxes. I have no problem being involved in a democratic society. I try to honor the laws until I get behind the wheel of a car. It's not in the grand gestures that I struggle with submission and obedience. It's inside my car. It's when you people from Kansas don't know what the left lane is for. For the love. It's when I'm trying to drive down range line. I just become like I could, I'm a tyrant. My language, my heart, my passion. It's like, that's a stupid rule, that double yellow line, that's dumb. It's not in the big things that we honor God, church, it's where? It's in those everyday simple things that rub against our will. That we think that's a dumb rule, but it's a rule. I don't understand why I can drive a backcountry road and I can't go 35 miles an hour, but I can blow by Truman Elementary at 40. It makes no sense. I often ask myself, do I need to run the whole world? I mean, I could fix so many things if you all would let me. If I ever run for public office, move. 
okay? Because it would not be good. But isn't it funny that the ways that we struggle most with honoring our government are in those moments that rub our individual will. Jesus taught us the only time you stand up to your government it was when it rubs against God's will, not mine. So I want to give you three things to think about that help you understand when to stand and when to kneel. Those are awkward terms. Kneel before my government. I'm an American. Stop. Submission is an act of putting yourself in compliance to an authority that God has established. I want to give you the three standards I think the Bible teaches. Number one, there can be no rival. The early Christians understood that Caesar required them at one point to declare that he was Lord, to take a knee and say that he was their sovereign, and they refused to do it. I look at the Bible, and I understand some people took a stand and survived, and some people took a stand and died. I look in the Old Testament, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all had a moment that they stood before their Caesar, if you will, and they refused to honor him and give him worship, and they survived the lion's den, and they survived the fiery furnace. And then I read in the New Testament that James stood before the governing authorities and was beheaded. How does James not catch the break the other three did? I don't know. I'm not God. But I'll tell you this. John in the Revelation shows us a picture that all of those who were told to bow before man instead only would bow before God. All of them are at the throne of God right now praising his name without regret. There can be no rival. There should never be a rival. We should never have to choose. And if one day you and I have to choose whether to worship governing authorities or worship our God, I hope you've already made your choice. Second, there can be no rebuttal. This is where we'll most be tested. Remember, if it rubs your will, it probably irritates you more than when it rubs God's will. But there can be no rebuttal. His word is final. What God has said about government, marriage, and church, and family, and all of these these principles of, of civilized culture, God has to have the final word on this. When I have to figure out what's right or wrong, I can ask you or I can ask him. As much as I love you, I have to trust him. So there can be no rebuttal. There can be no rival. And lastly, there can be, there can be and is no refusal. Revelation 5.13 says, To him be glory and honor. I love the moment that Peter and, and John in the New Testament were somewhat cowardly and selfish. They were always trying to gain jockey for position. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed and murdered, they had a chance to show loyalty. But what did they do? They bolted. They ran and hid. And they didn't show loyalty. They didn't show truth. They didn't stand for those principles. And then in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, then those same men that sent Jesus to his death, Peter and John stood before them. And they were told, don't you preach about Jesus again. And those same two men who ran one time stood the second time and they said to him, you decide for yourself whether to serve God or man, we've already chosen. We're going to preach Jesus. And they were punished and they were beaten and they ran back to the other disciples. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, we just got drilled. They ran back to the other disciples and they began to worship and praise God because they took a stand and they suffered like Jesus suffered for the sake of the gospel. See what happens when we choose in advance? No rivals. No rebuttals and no refusal. What do we do with this? I'm going to ask you to pray today. I think it's one of the most important things we do is to declare our loyalty to its source. For some of us today, you've got to be like me. You're going to have to say to God, I don't know why I pick the fights I pick. I don't know why I bristle against authority like I do. I don't know why I can say yes to authority in one place in my life and struggle with it in another. 
I'm going to ask you this morning, would you pray and, and confess to God that you struggle with submission? That not passing that double yellow line on the road when you can get by somebody who's putzing along. It's not a big deal, right, God? But if God said to me, would you just honor the Walmart? Would you just show the light of Christ and trust me in the smallest things? I have to confess, I struggle with that. And for some of us, we just need to pray to confess that we need guidance, that we maybe put too much power in our government. We have too much happiness or success in our life based on who's in office and what that stands for for us. Remember, no government is going to save us. Only Jesus Christ can do. All government can do is make the world a better place for a short period of time, but can never answer the real needs of the heart of its citizens. There's a difference between being civilized and being whole. And so for some of us, it's confessing we struggle with this, and for other people, it's simply asking God to guide us so that we can be lights in dark places for all the right reasons, so that God is pleased. Because to love him with our whole heart is to diligently seek the things that brings God pleasure. And by doing so, we'll find our own. The Apostle Paul told a young preacher these words. Just listen. He said this. He said, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We should pray for our leaders. We should pray for our governments. We should pray for our souls that we could bring Jesus pleasure by doing the small things he's asked us to do. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.